0: You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is John Balestreri of Slogan. What's up, John?
1: Hey. What's up, man? What's going on?
0: It's really nice to talk to you. Uh, we were yeah. raving about your last record. We've uh, obviously been in contact and listening to your stuff for years and years and years. And yeah, glad we get to ask you a bunch of questions right now.
1: I mean, I can't believe uh, I've already known you guys 20 years. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's <laughs> that's been true. it's been a super long
2: time. But I was saying, I, we think, Gray, I think, said the first time he saw you was with Brighter Death now. Is that right? Have we established that, no. Gray?
1: No, no, no. I've met... That? I met
2: gray at a uh, America in New York. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, uh, yep.
2: man, the, gray talks about that show a lot. Uh, a classic was a, show.
0: One of the most memorable events I've been to. I mean, just,
1: yeah, that was a good time. I not seen anything time.
0: of that scale, but you, you played tons of crazy shows. I mean, when I think back, especially to, like the late 90s, early 2000s, you were one of the Americans who was like in touch with a lot of the European people and and just and playing shows and playing festivals.
1: Right off the bat. Yeah. I just got lucky because first off, I never even wanted to start a project of my own. Like, yeah, I performed with Mark, but that was more like a favor because me and Mark were working at the record store and he needed someone last minute. So it was like, all right, yeah, sure. We did a few shows, I think summer 94 with Intrinsic Action. But then it was Mark just like constantly, you know, you need to start something, you need to start something. And, you know, eventually, all right, fine. But then it was Mark and I at the record store where he wanted to just get me to play some shows in New York. And I don't know. I just was like, nah, man, I I don't want to. It's too much work. I don't want to do (laughs) anything. But then once the releases started coming out, because I got lucky with Mark Bloodlust, releasing a couple of albums right off the bat. And then Marco Corbelli, rest in peace, Boy, Slaughter. And then it was um, Less Than Zero. And then it was mm-hmm. uh, Sofita Macabre. Like, it was just cassette after cassette after cassette. And then I suddenly picked up on this idea. I was, I started getting offers for shows, but I was like, nah. let. I just wanted to play with it and just play with everyone. to be like, nah, fuck it. Nah, I don't want to do it. And then finally... Once I got that first show offer for Deadly Actions in France, I actually said no at first. And Mark literally just called me and he was like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, <laughs> you know, you have to say yes. And, and I was like, uh, I don't know, man. But then I saw the lineup and, it, you know, it, it just made sense. I was like, all right. So I just got lucky that the first show I ever did was one of those festivals, you know, it was deadly act. It was militia. It was genocide organ. It was, you know, it, it was it was incredible. Uh, and not an exhorter, you know. Wow. So Amazing. I just got to know them right off the bat. We all got along, like right, you know, immediately. I got along with every all the Europeans. All, and uh, it just went from there. The following year, I did that show with Dog um, Demore in Germany. It was just us two performing that one show. Wow. And you know, that was in Germany, so I had relatives there, and then. I had friends from here. I, I was always lucky to have friends travel with me no matter where I went. Mm-hmm. So even there, like I had, I even had my youngest sister come. She flew in like just, you know, cause we had relatives. We were like, All right, I'm going to come see you perform and then we'll go see some, my aunt and uncle, whatever. And yeah, it just, it just led to the Japan tour in 2003. And then the following year was England, uh, Poland, uh, mm-hmm. I can't even remember at this point. And then it just kept going on from there. And luckily, Chris Sickness, Thomas Control, like uh, Chris Scum Eater, like we were all luckily at this point where I'd get a show off or a couple of shows and all I did was call one of them, you know, hey, uh, November, you want to go, you know, and it was always like, yeah, sure. And that's (laughs) it. That's that's so great. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what was your hesitation
2: about playing live?
1: Oh, I'm not a musician. I have no interest in it. I have no interest in all the technical stuff that goes into it. That's also why if you, you know, you know this, I, I, I never do lyrics when I perform live. I literally get up on stage. I'll look at Chris or Shane or Sasha and I've I've actually even said to them, as the crowd's waiting for us to start, and I'll look at them and go, All right, let's see where this goes. Start. And they'll just start. And then I still don't even know what I'm gonna say. Like I'm just looking at the crowd. Like it was the spontaneity of it, just like the hanging out of it, the traveling of it. But as far as doing that work or even memorizing my own lyrics, I have to this I just have no interest in any of that. Because everything I've ever done, even sitting home recording or even writing lyrics. If you ever saw me writing lyrics, I start and stop for each track. It's just a few minutes. Like I start, stream of thought, boom, next, next. I don't edit. I don't go back. I don't, if I record, I record. Like there's no stopping, restarting, going back. You know, I'm, I. it's all too much work. It takes the fun out of it. So that was, to me, it was... Which is funny, because then I tour with someone like Chris Sickness, who's, you know, he's unbelievable, like he's yeah. great and he's great mm-hmm. at what he does. And yet I see the work he puts into it. And I'm like, oh, man, no way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I, I just got to I just got to do the thing, whatever, and just go get drunk with some of my friends and whatever, you know, especially back then. Slogan's so
2: lyric heavy and yeah. and, and the lyrics are so incredible so what would have been the process then say back then of writing do is the you is the writing of the lyrics and then the recording very close to each other or did you ever write some lyrics that you were like I'm going to use this for the next thing how what was the process
1: when I did when I always sat down to do the lyrics there I mean it, it's different periods like Right. Yeah. If I knew there was a release coming up or I got offered a release or, you know, whatever, which I was lucky enough to always get these offers. I just got offered again the other day by Old Europa Cafe, even though I'm done, I'm retired, like it ain't happening. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, all right. So there's that moment where I know I'm writing for a release. First, I play around with whatever ideas I wanted to do. And, you know, but then when I would sit down and, you know, it wasn't like. I need to come up with this one track. Like it was just, I sat down and um, a lot of it was at work. Like I would just be sitting at work and I'd be like, all right, fuck it. Let me just start writing some shit. And I would just think of something like one particular thing, an idea. And then I would just go ahead and just start writing. And like, uh, like the track, uh, my good friend, you know, like that was on the, I travel, uh CD that was because at the time yeah I was I was abusing pills and whatever and and I reconnected with my childhood best friend who was a dealer and he since passed away a few years ago he was my best friend growing up and uh that was my boy Sean and when we were younger you know growing up in Brooklyn we always had these problems it was fights whatever and me and Sean did a lot of stuff where me and him would be together and we'd go out to do something and If you look at the lyrics now, it totally makes sense because it was like, you know, me and him connecting. All right, we got to go do this. And then we would do something. And one night it would be him and I would just be his backup. And another night it would be me and he would be my backup. But then now if you go back and look at the lyrics, so then it would just be that thought. Boom. That's a track. Then I'd go on to something else or, you know, reading all the true crime books. You, You see even just a word, dehumanization or victimization or that's it you just latch on and it was never really there were a couple of albums like the we human animal well yeah that that makes sense I sat down and I had this idea for a whole album because at that time it was just like God you know I'm so I'm like mentally done I just hate people you know I just can't stand people I can't you know I just don't want to be around anything and then it was just like boom 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 first I came up with titles like ah and then it was just like all right it became like a game. And you just start writing. But it's all stream of thought. It's all, you know, like Mike Page from Fire in the Head. That's one of my best friends in the world. Known him over 30 years. Like, same thing. He's like me. Like, when we write stuff, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And we'll, I can't tell you how many times we just email each other these long, just stream of consciousness. Like, boom, boom. And then we'll take things, you know.
2: And Which is the best way to go. It's great to have someone who you can bounce ideas off of with lyrics and a, a, a mutual friend of all four of ours, um, said he was talking to you about lyrics and that you were saying that even when it is a true crime track lyrically, it's always also about something else. It's always, a, always. It's about something personal.
1: Double meaning is everything I've ever done with slogan, everything, even titles. Uh, and that's something me and Mike share like me and Mike page, like, and we'd actually laugh about it because I'd email him some somewhere, text him something. And I'd be like, ha, you know, check it out. And he'd know, cause he knows me so well. I know him so well. And we would just laugh because something that anyone else is going to look at as a true crime statement or, you know, whatever, like we, with each other, we'd see that double meaning and us growing up. And like me and him came out of the, the New York goth industrial club scene in the late eighties, early nineties. That's where I met Mike and, uh, So, so much of what we would joke around about or these double meanings would come out of that. And, uh, you know, for me also, a lot of it is, and this could possibly be the first time it's ever been said anywhere, because I don't think I've ever... The whole idea, there was one central idea with Slogan. There was one little thing of a... And if you now think back to the way I perform lyrics, like on albums, my voice, the whole idea of Slogan is some piece of shit teen who is already on his way and has already started killing, who is the loneliest motherfucker in the world. Because one thing about true crime and serial killers, that's always like blown blown me away. Can you imagine the incredible loneliness in being such a piece of shit? Because you're doing something colossal. You're doing something historic in a sense. And yet... You're not sharing this with anyone. You're It's not, all private. It is absolutely isolated. And now, after this, if you ever go back and you're listening to especially a lot of the earlier slogan albums, that's a teenager. That's a, that's a freaking teenager screaming. And that's why I always did these higher pitch screaming vocals, because it's this frustration. It's this absolute, here I am. I found my place. You know, I'm doing what I'm meant to do. I am this God, but I can't share this with anybody. I'm absolutely purely alone. Absolutely alone. And that whole dual, I just want to off myself. But before I do that, I want to go ahead and off as many people as possible. Right. And and there
2: really is a progression with the way you do your vocals, because some of those early ones, especially I think of Will to Kill they're these, they're, they almost melt into the electronics. And then you get to something like written in blood or the 44 lathe where they're on top. And so I I love that progression of the vocals. And again, was that just, did that just come
1: as you were in that mode? I think it was more at that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That that was also a comfort once I got a little more comfortable because remember the first couple of slogan albums didn't even have lyrics it was right. just and eh, there might be some screaming or whatever but then i think it was uh man i don't even really remember at this point but maybe the pleasures of death there was really more of this vocals going on and then after that it just really kept going because i, I kind of got more and more comfortable with the whole over the top and then of course i took it to a i kind of got a little out of control with it, because then it's there are some releases where it was just this whole vocal screaming and everything else kind of became an afterthought. And that was, I think someone once referred to it, I saw it written somewhere, that I had this period of the wall of sound period where I wasn't even putting much effort into the sounds anymore. I just needed that background. But it was really at that point, and um like, um, what was that? Me and Chris did that split CD, the, Ma- the American Violence. Yeah, American Violence. There was another one that got re- uh Just oh, because, always numb. Always numb. That—that's yeah. the one I was actually thinking of. Always yeah. numb, where it really is just these walls of just nondescript. Because I always like to put little things here and there that pop out. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But in that period, I really got to the point where it was just like walls of noise. And it was just about the screaming and whatever it was I was talking about at that time, you know, just just to, to just have the focus on the lyrics and the vocals. And then after a while, I think once I hit um, Bloody Roots, that was the first album that really didn't have anything to do with true crime anymore, even though, yes, the names and the titles right. and whatever and the, the imagery, but... From bloody roots on, everything like I've done with slogan is really about just self hate and you know just being done, just kind of calling it a night, you know, just kind of <laughs> it's over, you know, like and that was supposed to be the last album, bloody and that roots, was, right? Which was like two thousand eight nine something like 2009, that. Two thousand nine, I yeah. got married that year. Mm. I was just kind of like I just saw the scene changing a lot. Yeah. And, I mean you know, I'm not judging it you know hey man, everything changes everything's good no, totally. but it just wasn't for me. it was just I don't know I just felt like everything was different and I'm good. I was already happy with everything that I did already and but then I think 2010 I just started messing around on compute on my computer and that's because everything else I did analog. so with keyboards and you know my whole yeah. I just take up a whole room. With pedals and keyboards, whatever. But I started messing around and learning a lot of this stuff, and that's when uh, We Human Animal came out, because that was the first one recorded, kind of like the new way, which is much more textured. What much more, you know, this things going on in the in, in the noise or in the background. I guess I always
2: just assumed I couldn't. We couldn't hear them on something like Sacrifice Enemy or Will to Kill. Are there? I just assumed they were. I assumed it was. I, it was just in there, out. yeah. And we and I was just all part of it.
1: No, no, that's. I mean, "Sacrifice unto Me" and "Will to Kill" those were like kind of. Who was? I think it was Dillaway. That they called it a psychedelic uh, power electronics, like and and I kind of went back and because I don't listen once I'm done, I never listen to it right. again. Like I just you know whatever it's done, you know. And then I went back and I was listening. I think it was "Sacrifice unto Me" when me and Mark started reissuing all of them on CD. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I kind of was like, oh wow, yeah, I guess it was. It's was just all the swirling, swirling soundscapes, and you it know. really
2: is that. And so I just assumed there was vocals being blended into it, uh, just and and again, I think it's also because the perception of slogan is so lyric heavy that you just, right. whoa, well, they're they there somewhere, and the
3: screaming mixes in with the electronics, and yeah. Can't so really it makes a right. difference. But did you do all your samples
1: analog? It, well, anything before, so anything up to Bloody Roots, yeah, everything was analog. It was just four track. You know, I would just, yeah, it would take so much time. And again, as I was talking about earlier, I had no patience for any of that stuff. You know, I just want to get the damn thing done. And, you know, because I just want to go on, I was more into the graphic design and putting packaging together than anything else. But yeah, that was all done analog. And then once I started with uh, We Human Animal and Visit Revisit, and, uh, I will bury you. That's where I was really having fun with all the stuff in the background. And, you know, I was really having a ball with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, was, some of the first releases I was still living in, um, in Brooklyn way back when. And I mean, some of the actual samples you'll hear like that, it's obviously taken from the movie cruising or, you know, whatever I literally would just be like, Shh stretched out in the room with the four track on this side, my TV with the VCR over here. And I'd be like, play record, stop, stop. (laughs) And then I'd go back and then I'd just start like mess, putting it all together on tape. Um, yeah, (laughs) that's, that's amazing. And, and you can, and it's very clear
2: that the sound and the electronics have played a really important part in the later records. We got so deep, deeply into nothing ever it was our album of the year of 2019 and it it really that's when we got back in touch it, it kick-started mm-hmm. this this other wave of obsession with slogan for a lot of us and it was one where it was just every week someone would be dude did you hear that new slogan oh my god it's the new level it's a new level and i just feel that the electronics and lyrically like you said it's this is some of the rawest lyrics I think that you ever uh, I, did, and it's not true uh, it's, crime. It's but it's yeah. true.
1: It's my favorite. It's definitely my favorite. Like release. Um. It's it's definitely I think the best lyrics I wrote. Like what I wanted to accomplish. Um. Lyrically, like to really, it hit exactly whatever each each one of those tracks, whatever idea I had in my head the way the lyrics came out. And I'll never forget this one review after that album came out. Someone posted this review. It was, a you know, thankfully it was a favorable review, but the guy actually wrote something like someone should really, and he wrote in parentheses, I'm not kidding here. Someone should really go and check on slogan, make sure he's okay. (laughs) And I'm just like reading this. Like, yeah, I was like, that's possibly the best thing I ever, (laughs) ever like, yeah, it was great you know but that was that was really written that album was written from a really bad place really bad place i mentioned my boy sean he's, i don't even like calling him friend like that was my brother like right he's my age we grew up together Bets and got into a whole bunch of shit together but he just died one day and that absolutely killed me and uh You know, that was a lot of the impetus behind, and just me going through stuff, I don't know, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, I I was just in a place where ah, I was done. You know, I was just like, I mean, done with everything. I was just, you know, I'm a happily married man in the sticks of New Jersey with five great dogs and a great (laughs) wife, you know, but (laughs) mentally I was just like, and then, you know, I don't know how many guys in this scene talk about this stuff, but it's so fucking incredible. Over the years, unwittingly, where I my identity became or my worth became slogan because that was like my legacy, like not like the the graphic design work I've done. I've been a graphic designer now 30, almost 30 years. It never dawned on me until I was like, all right, this has all got to stop because, you know, I mean, what power to everyone else that's keeping this stuff going but for me, I just really got hung up with, ah man, you gotta stop this. You gotta stop this. You know, like it's gotta it's gotta stop. It's gotta go. And I had suddenly I I got so depressed about it because it was like, I gotta end this. Like I gotta this isn't gonna be there anymore. Like I couldn't that's why I thank God for all these labels that want to do reissues at this point. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause that's me living vicariously through all, you know, that's why I'm just like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Dom asked me, yeah, sure. You yeah. know, he's doing uh Written in Blood as a yes. double album too. I'm like yes. and uh Rodolfo now from OEC, uh he he might reissue I'm I did not get back to him yet, but I'll I'm gonna let him reissue uh Chronicle of Serial Murder. Great one. You know, so And Old Europa just did the CD with Yeah, the I Travel mm-hmm. and uh Yeah, yeah the they, and I just called it Less Travel, but that should have been re that was supposed to be reissued by uh Knew he had Briard years ago, and uh, they kind of he went through some stuff. Whatever, it's all good. But so when Rudy asked me to, do, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then we combined it with that limited acetate when I did the show in Bologna. Uh, right. That's on there, but yeah. So thank God for these reissues because at least it lets me feel like all right, I still got a finger in on it. Some, you know, a little bit.
2: Definitely, and you said that the record and a lot of the. Later records came a lot of came out of a lot of self disgust yeah, and yeah, self of course.
1: hate. All the yeah, I'm sure we all have them. Like for me, uh, you know, I'm my own worst enemy. You know, like and ironically, the the what'll go down as you know my biggest biggest accomplishments are so tied into stuff that you know from time to time always made me feel like shit about myself. You know. So this is kind of twisted irony there. And like, even now, I you know, I stopped Slogan, you know, let's say the last album was the end of Slogan. I mean, even though I stopped all that back then, going on now four years, the way the world has gotten, that last show I was supposed to do in Chicago that famously got cut short, this is all tied in together, which also fed into why I knew Slogan was done. Because my God, do I hate the way everything is now like yeah like the sensitive, the hypersensitivity the just the bs like i'll never forget at that moment in chicago when the second it like and i just gave mark this look and i swear to you i looked at mark in his face this is wild, the madness is going on yeah. i'm bleeding from the side of my head because some little pussy snuck up behind me with a two by four and cracked me in the back of the head it's fucking and insane yet, it's insane and I just looked at Mark, which is great because Mark is why I got started in this. So everything came full circle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're like, yep. (laughs) And I looked at Mark and I just screamed. I said, it's over. I said, it's not ours anymore. It's theirs. I said, it's over. And he just looked at me and he was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, Mark, it's done. Like this, it's not what it was. It's not the same mindset. It's not, it has become this fashionable. Artistic, like truly fashionable artistic world where the guys like, you know, Greg Scott and Marco Corbelli, and, you know, this isn't what that was, you know? And I mm-hmm. saw it and I was like, nah, man, like, nah, this for sure isn't what I want to be part of, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and with, with, obviously,
2: we, we think about that a lot mm-hmm. and especially thinking about, the porn lords and thinking about you oh, guys back the in the '90s, Lord. and I was actually talking with Pat a little bit ago, and he, and he sent me a picture of a a peep show coin, and he said this was when. Oh yeah. Uh, me, Marco, John. Yeah. Maybe and Jonathan, I think. Jonathan, uh,
1: Mark. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, absolutely.
2: Just, and just that was so we think about that time. We hold that. We hold those stories of you guys in and, and that to us is like, that's the legend. It was, for great. Us. Yeah. It, it,
1: it was such a diff, I, you know, whatever, man, I'm going to sound like this old fart, but it, <laughs> it, it really was, you know, it, it was guys that were into that shit and it was, and for me, and this is going to be funny because I think what I'm about to say next is kind of like how I met you was when that no fun scene started I remember talking to Mark because he was kind of part of it. And I just, I wasn't. And a lot of it was my own fault because I was so, and that's why that show I did when I finally did no fun. If you look at it, I purposely just did this shit show where I was just like, I had my boy Leno from Hemlock come up on stage I had like, I mean, Gray was there. That's right. Gray was on stage. Like, (laughs) I just, I remember just sitting there and, you know, I feel bad because Carlos was great. You know, like Carlos, he was always supportive and he saw what was going on. Like, I was like the jerk off, like thug dude from Brooklyn, but it wasn't like I was trying to be anything above or like I thought I was like more legit or anything. But when you when I started going to these type of shows, these no fun shows, and I'm looking at the crowd and maybe it's just one of my shortcomings where that's important to me. Like, again, all every slogan show, I didn't even know what I was going to do until I looked at the crowd and then I'd start, you know, like, but then I'm looking at this. Like, I was like, nah, man, this is it's too cool now. It's too Mm -hmm. cool. And I'm not it's not me. It must have been very different.
2: From playing a bloodless show with Hydra at yeah, Pyramid great, Club man. in the
1: '90s, you know that's uh,
2: that's a different thing let me than tell you, what happened.
1: Me and Mark, and I can't wait for him to hear this because you know we always kind of laugh. But me and Mark had such a life at that point, which is so funny because basically with these two adults refusing to be adults, working at a record store, like and. He would do these pyramids and basically we'd get out of the record store like, you know, and we'd be like, all right. And then we would just go grab something to eat and then go over to Pyramid and Mark would set up these shows. And it, it just recently, it was just a few months ago, we're out of nowhere. I just emailed or texted them and I was like, God damn, we just had such a life going on at that point because it was so records, the record store, walking around the village, going to get something to eat. And then these shows and like, you know, Pat coming down from New Hampshire or, uh, you know, Jonathan, like when he did that first show at the Pyramid and uh, I'll never forget, Chris performed uh, Chris Sickness, which was the night I actually met met Chris for the first time. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. That was was when I met Chris, but that was the second Death Pile show. Jonathan did a show, I think, around 96 that Mark put on. But it was amazing because Jonathan's doing his set. You know, the whole Son of Sam from the gutters of New York City. And Mark and I are just standing smack in the middle of the crowd looking at him. And it was great. It was one of those moments where Mark just, like, turned his head to me. And all he said was, it's the end of the fucking world. And I, I was just like, yeah. And it was just yes. perfect. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, that was the first time I saw Jonathan perform. And, yeah, Jonathan's awesome. Like, you know, we got along immediately. But, yeah, it was different, man. You know, like it was still great that we had people even internationally coming in like Marco. And so was on that scale, but it was still so small, you know, like, and even Octung America, which was a big bigger production that Shane and Sasha put on, you know, and they had everyone coming in and Dave gray wolves and Mike, you know, whatever. But it, it was still like gray coming up to me. I'll never forget at the catwalk. Looking down, I don't know if you remember this, Gray, but you came up to me and you were like, Hey, you know, and you introduced yourself. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, like <clears throat> that was that. It was still this, like, we knew each other from correspondence, but yet you just ran up to me, Hey, I'm Gray. Like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was still there. And that was like, what, three, four years, three years before that, that, that no fun thing started where, and good for the scene. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to stay small and, you know, whatever. Some might say even ignorant, I guess. But once it did get to that for me personally, I was just kind of like, ah, that intimacy is gone. You know, it's not there anymore.
2: I did also just want to pull this out uh, from that time. Oh, yeah. Uh, got the I rape, got of, angels. Yep, got the rape right of angels.
1: Yeah. Got them Oh, look at that. We both oh. have the we have rape of angels. Well, I'm sitting at my I'm desk not- and yeah. right down here. I have all my files, and it also includes all the issues of Rape of Angels. I mean, I got everything. I got, look, the original. Oh, wow. 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 Originals. All the the files, everything. Um,
3: That's amazing.
1: It's the original sacrifice unto me. This is literally, look, it's the paste-ups for the cassettes. I mean- it's just Are you
2: kidding?
1: All... Wow! Oh, you organized. I love this. So well, you yeah. have. So you have everything. I got everything right here, right below me. Everything, <laughs> every release in a folder, written out all the lyrics. <laughs> everything's right here.
3: That is wild. Yeah, that... I'm so impressed. So, like, so like we we ha- 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 we we
1: pulled out a bunch
2: of our stuff right now, so it's sitting around us right now. So you yeah. would have all these, but now, so I'm holding up right now as for mm-hmm. you know making sure the. Listeners uh we're telling them what we're what we're drooling at. <laughs> but the uh will to kill in the VHS, but this version that I have here You got
1: the teeth?
3: Yes. The the teeth. Teeth. So yes.
2: now not only there's is there teeth in Will to Kill, there's hair in written in
1: blood. There That's actual blood. That's Jerome. Uh propagal. Okay. That's his blood. That's uh his Who's hair teeth. Now whose teeth or, or do we need, or do we need to keep that under wraps? No, no. The teeth I actually bought in bulk (laughs) 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 because I knew going into this, I wanted to, because remember this shell is the same as Sacrifice Unto Me, the limited edition. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, all right, well, it's going to look the same. And I was just walking around one night in uh, Soho and there's that famous evolution place that had animal bones, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been I bought uh, some stuff
3: there.
2: Yeah, yeah she yeah. bought some
3: bones there. I yeah. bought some bones, bought some bugs. Love <laughs> that place. Like, and
1: I walked in and I just looked at the guy. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to help you. And I was like, by any chance, you have human teeth? And he literally just turned around, pointed at this giant basket of teeth. And I went, holy shit. Amazing. And I just, <laughs> just, said, just started buying them up. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. that. But, but you, who's, wait, whose blood? On the Will to Kill, that's mine. My blood. Nice. And um, written in blood, that's Jerome's blood. Yeah.
3: Yeah, you can still smell it. It has a bit of a
1: metallic <laughs> yeah, smell that when yeah. you open it up.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the packaging, and that was something that you were so interested in back then. And, and you know, like I said, we have all our stuff out right now, and we've just been looking at so much. And it was such a big thing, the booklets, the inserts.
1: Yes. Well, that was my influence. Yeah. Coming I mean, soon. come on. I mean, gross. Remember the Japanese label, oh, gross. Yeah. Like, I mean, the the four shrines, which was the cassettes that were you you know on the wall mounted. Oh yeah, you know Patrick with the the murder series with the you know like I I I'm just lucky that and Mark you know Mark getting me into a lot of this, especially those other labels that were doing this insane packaging, and we and you know Marco with the with the rat trap on Slaughter, Got, you know have it sitting right over there. So yeah. good you know, and the formaldehyde release in the video cassette box, but it came with all the, the the syringe and, you know, the latex glove. So yeah, man, that was like the perfect time to get into all this shit because that was so much of also come me, you know, like graphically, visually, even then, you know, coming from the graffiti scene in New York, like the visuals to me were much more important than anything else because it was like, boom, in your face, you know, and, Seeing these releases, I, I knew from day one, I knew everything I had to do as as long as I had control, had it, the packaging had to be something, you know, and luckily I found a lot of people to work with that felt the same way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, if they didn't, you
0: would make your own version of the release, right? So you yeah, would do special packaging exactly. for a lot of things.
1: I actually got that from, uh, I got that idea from Keith Taint. Remember? Keith always, you'd, you'd get this Taint CD, and then, because, you know, that was my boy, and like a month later, I'd get something in the mail from him, open it up, and it's the same release, but, you know, even if it was just him finger-painting a bunch of paint all over the thing or scratching up the cover, yep. whatever it was... He had to do his own little twist on it and I loved it, you know, gluing a rusty
0: razor blade in there. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've got a lot of great releases from Keith from back in the day. And yeah, they're the, the special ones he always made. And I think later there was a lot of ones where he would, uh, he would take the packaging out and shoot it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but to me that was just as important. Like that was so much oh, fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd get that package. Like if, if, if I placed an order or I got a box from like Marco or, uh, um, knew at Briard in France or, you know, whatever it was, or Roger or cold meat, like you open the box, like that was your first like punch in the face. It was like yeah. pulling out the releases and just kind of checking that out. And it was almost like at one point it got to like the afterthought of, Oh shit, let me play the damn thing. You know, like, yeah, yeah.
3: To play with it, like, it oh, first,
1: man, you know, like that was so much fun. The Italian, all the Italian labels were into That's why cassettes were so much fun. You could do so much with them. You know, it, it, it that was such a big part of it for me. Well, the Italians so, loved you. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned labels
0: earlier for doing your early tapes after Mark and you, you mentioned slaughter less than zero and so macabre. So Italian murder just, release. <laughs> yeah. Murder release. Murder right? release. The yeah. Italians in full effect. What do you think it was? Was it a, what was the connection that, that the Italians and you had?
1: we were all guineas, man. We were all just guineas. <laughs> they was psyched. They was psyched to find this like Sicilian from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, that <laughs> it, Italian was my first language. Like English is my second language, you know, like, and I'm not going to lie. The first time I met any of them, like Paolo from Sigil MS or, uh, Andrea from, the uh, from Igula Thor, whatever it was like, yeah, I'd play it up because it, it, you know, it's fun, you know, like, I'd meet these guys, and I would immediately just get into, you know, just start talking Italian. And, you know, and I know Marco, Marco really kind of got into what I was doing, because he also loved and when they came him and that guy from Progetto Marte Walter, yeah, when they came to New York, you know, they were really into the whole New York and graffiti and, you know, that stuff. And that was my background, you know, like, and gangs and so I talked to Marco a lot about that. He was really interested in that. So that was like a, a little bit of a different connection with Marco. Um, and I would even send him, like I would do drawings or whatever pieces, like even just graffiti pieces. but I would just put them in the mail for him and just send it to him. Like he was into that. But the other Italians, I think it honest to God, it just came down to, they found another, like some other Italian dude this time in, in Brooklyn, New York that was doing this stuff, you know, we just kind of got along that way. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And,
2: Marco is someone we hold in the highest regard. Here. Ah, he was
1: unbelievable. You know that label. I, I, it, it. I guess I mean, Slaughter, was such a huge influence on me in every way. Like because yeah. that's when Mark got me into all this stuff. When Marco was just banging out these releases, and Mark and I were getting all of them as they were coming out. Like we were just even those super limited ones. We were just getting them and getting them, and it was so much that it just burned itself into my head. Like this is, you know, and I think it was less than a year later where I started. And in my mind, it was just like, yeah, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is the type of stuff I'm going to do. And, you know, a a lot of it was taken from Marco Corbelli, you know, all those ideas. And again, gross. I can't. So huge. Yeah. Yeah, Huge. I mean, huge, you know, it was amazing. Well, you
0: mentioned Mark getting you, into this stuff. So let's, let's travel back. I jumped the gun by even talking about live shows and all this stuff. When we started, you know, normally we would start at the beginning. Tell us about getting into this stuff. Tell us about, about working with Mark and tell us what, what led you to power electronics, noise, industrial.
1: Uh, Oh, well, you know, as far as me getting into all this stuff, music, like all well, the music, it's the usual BS, right? It's like, you know, me and Chris sickness always had this joke when you peel away all the, all the, all the layers Basically, everyone gets into this scene one of two ways. You got the metal scene or you got the punk scene. You know, basically the outcasts or whatever. We got into all the shit we were getting into. By the way, tying back into the no fun scene, that's where things started changing. Because then a lot of the popular kids were just getting into this new art. Right, right. Before that, I can honest to God tell you, I'd say 95% of anyone you met that was into this stuff, it was like the joke. It was like metal or punk. And then you'd go from there. So for me, it was punk. Like new wave punk. You know, I was a kid, 80, 81, 11, 12 years old, a flock of seagulls, psychedelic fur. Then it just keeps going. The Cure, Susie, Echo. Then I'm I'm a huge 4AD label fanatic. Yeah. Like I even got it tattooed on my back. Like I'm I worship yeah. that label to this day. Cocteau Twins, Dead Can Dance, Wolfgang Press, Exmo Deutschland, you name it. That's like my life to this day. That's all I listen to. I'm stuck.
2: You know, <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong that's with fun. that. Also, <laughs> we, you the, the first two Flack of Seagulls records are, are always so getting much. played here. I'll tell Classic. you that. I mean, I just that,
1: that's what I listen to, but, and then, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm telling you something you already know. You probably lived it. And then, you know, because of say the four AD stuff or Susie or whatever. And then suddenly you hear your first coil track. And then yeah. you're like, wait a minute, Throbbing Gristle and then 23 Skidoo. Big influence on me, by the way, 23 Skidoo. And I'm obsessed with the number 23, as cheesy as it sounds, but I have been since I was a little kid. Anyway, but, you know, so it's that natural kind of one thing leads to another. And then all it takes is that one person to be like, hey, you know, have you heard of brighter death now? And then you're deep shit into it now. And (laughs) yeah, Mm -hmm. that's it. You know, you're just kind of, if you're so interested in, if music is that important to you, yeah, you're just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. First time the whole cult of psychic TV, it's embarrassing to say this nowadays, but I was really into that shit back then, you know, PTV and, you know, the whole TG and, and and even the world serpent stuff. I was obsessed with current 93 and and death Mm -hmm. in June. And, you know, it all kind of just keeps going, keeps moving, nurse with wound. And then now you're getting into like Halfler Trio. And then you hear your White House track.
2: And then then you're like, here we go. You know, and
1: then (laughs) Cliff Hugan comes along and it's like, holy mother, what is this? And it just, you know, that's it. And I got into it just by coincidence. You know, Mark and I, we work at Bleaker Bob's I didn't know Mark, although funny enough, I saw Intrinsic Action in 91, because like I said earlier, between like 88 and really 92, 93, I was part of the the New York goth industrial scene, Limelight, Palladium DJing, you know, all that shit. And I did see Intrinsic Action played this place called The Building that isn't there anymore. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I remember just being like, the hell's this? You know, like, all right, all right, you know, whatever. And then not a year later, there we are working the same record store. I worked in the back. He worked. And then we instantly became friends. And then again, it just, we became really good friends. And Mark at first, you know, the whole intrinsic action thing and he needed someone and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. And, and then he, you know, I, 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 I will tell him this until the day I die. Like, Mark's my boy. Like he was a groomsman at my wedding. I love him to death. He's my family. And I always tell him, thank fuck you kept insisting for me to start something. Because I I kept fighting him. Fighting him. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, ah, shut up already. Like, nah, I don't want to do anything. Nah, nah. And it got to the point where this is pre-internet, eBay, you know, whatever. 95, something like that. And he got to the point where he'd buy the buy and sell little classified magazine where people sell stuff back then. And he just came in and just opened to a page. And I mean, he was so pissed at me and he just pointed and someone was selling a Novation base station. And he was like, you're going to buy this and I'm going to tell you what pedals you're going to need. And you're going to like, (laughs) and he was just like, so I'll never forget at the counter at bleaker Bob's records. And he was just so pissed. And I remember just like, really, really, uh, you know, uh, and then that's it. It just started from there. And for six months, I was just fucking around, learning all the stuff and just went from there. And it was really Mark, 100% is the only reason Slogan ever got started. I, I mean, 100%. It was just him like, dude, like, you need to start your own project. And I was like, ah, all right. You know, I was just kind of half so like, All right, And then it was like, all right you know, wait a minute, I could get into this. And it just went from there. That, yeah, That makes
0: me so happy to hear Mark's uh, passion and enthusiasm for, for music of all sorts, of yeah. every single yes. possible yes. facet of music you can ever hear, is
1: unparalleled
0: in almost anyone I've ever met. Like, he is...
1: And art. Yeah, art, yeah. music, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's uncanny to me. Like, there are times I actually even ask him, how? How do you even still? Like, I don't even... Like, the energy involved, like, the time, like, Like, it's amazing to me, but I really, guys, like, we wouldn't even be talking here today. It was all Mark. Like, Mark just, (laughs) he wouldn't let it go. And I mean, when I say I'm pissed, I was genuinely pissed at him because I'd be like, all right, already, just stop. Like, leave me alone. But he was just like, no, man, no, just do it. Just do it. And yeah, it just, as a matter of fact, the reason I think I met Mark going back even a little more I actually, I I was really into the World Serpent. This is like 91, 92. And I was, I had to get every single World Serpent record ever made, every current 93, every, no matter how rare. I didn't give a shit. I needed to have all of it and I needed it fast because it was like my life was depending on it. I was just, fin- <laughs> I was just finishing college. I was obsessed. I walked around with all the stupid little emblems and pins and, you know, whatever you want. I, I looked the the world serpent clown at that time and me and Mike Page, Mike Page, fire night, me and him at the same time, we met at that time and we were obsessed and, um, and, uh, someone marched told me, yo, I'm selling my record collection, you know, that all that stuff. And at that time, I've always been a big baseball card guy. That's actually a lot of my life. Now I, I make my own baseball card. Like I have my own Baseball card, like I design my own cards, whatever. I have a following, you know, whatever. That's like wow. my big thing now. Yeah, this is actually, this new set gets announced this week. Definitely a first
2: That's for Noise Extra, a baseball card designer and creator. Yeah.
1: I just sold at that time, one of the three times in my life, I sold my massive baseball card collection. That was the first time. So I had all this money. I had tons of money. Because I sold all my cards to this mob, mob guy from my neighborhood. And, you know, I got a shitload of money for it. And Mark always made this joke. Yeah, I just met this guy who's he just sold all his baseball cards to buy all these records. And that's literally how I just I just ticked off this list. I still have the list, by the way, on me, because I of course you do. (laughs) I took a picture of it for Mark. I was like, Mark, check it out. You know, and um, I just ticked it all off. And I was like, I want all of it. You know, just I want all of it. And life's come full circle because about six years ago, I sold all my records and I got back into baseball cards. So, (laughs) yeah. When I think of
0: slogan, and this also comes from, I've seen you live numerous times. I don't think of you as a, a gear person when you're on stage, you're not touching a single damn piece of equipment. That is not your MO. So the, what was the gear? What was the basis of the slogan sound?
1: Oh, man, I can tell you it's easy. It's basically the Novation base station I never ended up using, funny enough. But I can tell you, until I started doing, until the We Human Animal CD, I literally only used two keyboards. It was a Micro Moog, which I still have, I mean, packed away. And um, I used an ARP axe because it had more of a high-end screeching. The way I like to explain it is um, the micro move to me was more the White House kind of sounds. The backs was more the Sutcliffe Hugen screeching, Kevin Tompkins, you know, that and then pedals like Chris Sickness knows because I've been blessed that Chris, who's always performed with me, the reason you never saw me touching a piece of equipment on stage because I was the luckiest son of a bitch because I had Chris with me and he <laughs> He would, I mean, you know, one of the best there is doing this shit. And there he is behind me taking care of all and Sasha and Shane. I had three of the best like helping me, you know, behind. And then I could just go do my yelling and whatever, you know, like, but. Artbacks, Micro Moog, and then a game pedal uh, for a little while, a meat box, but it was just pedals and those two keyboards and then a microphone where I would just try to manipulate whatever I could you know but that was honestly that was slogan that was right. as as a matter of fact you could even ask chris sickness this he had a running joke for a while he would hold up what is it hyperfuzz a hyperfuzz yeah. pedal that's the gray one right yep. it's it's yeah i mean i have it somewhere packed away but chris would hold up a hyperfuzz pedal and just say this right here is slogan
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: he
1: he broke it down to this one <laughs> pedal like he even just got rid of everything and he would just hold this up and it'd be like this right if anyone ever knew this right here is slogan because I use the hell out of that pedal. Like wow. I used it to just really beef everything up to the point where it just got to be shredding. But yeah, it it that was that was the and lots of cables and that would be like my setup in my room, you know, doing at three in the morning what you guys think is like me screaming into a mic is me whispering into a mic with the gain all the way up. And it sounds like I'm screaming myself bloody. And me and Mark would joke around about this because he knew how I recorded. You know, Mark goes in the studios and shit. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm in my fucking bedroom at three in the morning, just like, you know, a lot quieter than even I'm talking right now. And I'm just like with the gain all the way up. And then, you know, just kind of seeing how that... And it sounded like I was screaming my head off. But nah, it was you do what you you know with what you got you know your your story about world serpent
0: also resonates with me because that was me in like 95 96 spending my paychecks at the solomon catalog buying oh. just any cd that i said it sounded interesting from like, legendary pink dots or, you know yeah. any current 93 nurse with wound stuff and getting into halfler tree and all that so i can i can definitely relate <laughs> to that stuff
1: yeah most of us took that same path you know it's it it, it it's just natural because you know it's the stuff that I mean, all right, maybe uh, I'm 53. So, yeah, like even when I first started getting into anything even remotely different, like Susie and The Cure and Echo, but you know, whatever. Yeah, like even especially in my neighborhood in Bensonhurst, like, nah, you're not going to find this shit. You know, you're not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just by chance, you know, like, uh, you know, But then it's the natural, again, I I brought up Coil because someone made me a mixed tape. Yeah, this was the 80s. And there was a Coil track on it. And I remember thinking, who the fuck's this band, Coil? You know, and it just went from there. And so I'm sure all of you, like, you know, we all make that same progression step by step. And uh, I kind of still get a kick out of it. You know, like I I remember at some festivals, funny enough, where I'd bring up because people would ask me, oh, what do you listen to? You know, what's really your favorite? And I'd be like, dead can dance. That's my favorite band. And they'd be like, really? And I'm like, the fuck is that really? I'm like, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. They're like, amazing. You know,
1: yes. I, I didn't come out of a vagina screaming my cocks on fire, you know, like, what, <laughs> you know, like what, how, what else am I, how else am I going to get in this? This? you know, so. Well, you yeah. mentioned
0: two people who are a part of slogan who are also, uh, I would say a sort of a big inspiration or influence to me when I was really getting started and discovering this stuff, and that's Shane and Sasha. Yeah, uh, I love them. And they, you know, I've talked about this time a lot, like the late 90s with like Malignant Records mailing list, and Shane and Sasha had Noise Guild, uh, a noise-exclusive yeah. DJ night in New York at a club, and that yeah. blew my mind back then because I was in Detroit with not knowing too many people or really almost anybody who was into this stuff But there's in New York, there's a club you can go to and they're playing genocide organ and they're playing slogans and they're playing this stuff on a PA and people are people are going. I don't care if only five people go. People are going to this thing.
1: But it wasn't just five people. Let me tell you something great. This was around 99. I'll never forget because my girlfriend at the time did not like Sasha and I met Sasha and Shane. I might as well get into the story because it's actually kind of a funny story. This is around 97, Pleasures of Death, the original edition on cassette. Great, by the way, great temporary label, Labyrinth. Love Labyrinth, Robert Marzano. Yeah. Robert Marzano, man, (laughs) wherever you are, wherever you are, dude. He grew up in the same neighborhood as me. Incredible. The most straight-laced guy you could ever meet in your life. But um, that just came out, and I'm home one night. I I was actually back at my parents' living there for a bit, and I'm in – my room and the phone rings and I pick up I'm like, you know, hello. And there's this dude on the other end, like, Hey, is this John from slogan? And I'm like, this is 97. It's only a year old. And I'm like, the fuck is this? And I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? You know, like we're chatting. Oh, Hey, you know, my, my name's Shane and, uh, Paolo from sigil MS gave me your phone number. I hope you don't mind. So we're talking and i'm just like, you know, chat chat whatever, but yeah, yeah, you know, blah blah blah. Oh, you're in New York. But then he said something that i kind of stopped and i went, "Wait a minute." And i knew the Shane and Sasha, not new, like i just knew them by face. I knew who they were from cuz i was already out of the club scene and but right when i was kind of getting out of the goth industrial club scene, you know, there were new, you know, the new new people younger than me, whatever. And I knew there was this guy and this girl. They seemed nice, you know, at least, at least he did. Sorry, Sasha. But, you know, but I knew about them and Shane, Sasha. And I remember just stopping, going, wait a minute. And we always used to just look at each other and just nod, like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And by then, I was really, this was like 96, 97. I really was a thug. Like, I was going, I was just fighting a lot. Like, it was just such a fucked up. I just had this weird chip on my shoulder. I was just always problematic at these clubs. But I always knew them. And one night, this guy did something to Sasha. Was trying to do something, and I, you know, I attacked him and whatever. It became this big fight. And this call was shortly after. And I'm huh. Shane's talking to me, and I'm like, "Dude, what's your girlfriend's name?" And you can imagine <laughs> this guy on the phone with me going, "What?" And right. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." I'm like, "What's your girlfriend's name?" And he was like, "Sasha." And I just started laughing. I went, "Dude, you know me." And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know me. You see me all the time. We say hello to each other. And he was he was so confused. He just and you got
3: didn't. your phone number from Italy.
1: I know, right? And I was like, dude, the tall guy with the goatee, always in military calls in black with, with Eddie and Eric. And he was just like, what? And I was like, yeah, that's me. I was like, hey, what's up? And then the next night I met up with him. I was oh, like, yo, God. I gave him, you know, I gave him some cassette or something like that. But that's how. You know, we met and ninety-nine, when they were doing this night, one you know, I was really, I was not in the club scene, I was done. But one night I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go pass by, see what's up, you know, like and they were doing this night with this uh goth husband and wife who I really didn't like. Kind of newbies, I had a trip on my shoulder with that. But they would that was like really their night. It was this God night, but then Sash and Shane would do this this part of it. But I was like, God, oh, you know, this it's going to pass by, and I kid you not, it was the first time I ever walked in anywhere. And I actually, I'm like, What is this? And it, it honestly took me a good minute where I'm like, That's me. I was like, Wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> and, it, and they were playing the Lust Killer 7 Inch. Wow, can you imagine? They're playing no. the Lust Killer oh. 7 Inch in this. And the thing is, people were up, it wasn't just five people there right. were people that listen. I remember just standing like, this is the funniest shit ever. Like they got that thing going. Like it was really working. <laughs> yeah. They oh, would like crazy incredible. stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. How like, soon
0: after that, did you roll them into the, the slogan live fold?
1: Well, the first show, I mean, when I got offered that deadly action slot, I remember they oh Mark again, Mark, you know, convinced me like, there's no fucking way you're going to say no. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. You know, I'll do it the first thought I have: how the fuck am I doing this? I don't want to play anything. Like I don't, the, honestly, the only thing I knew I was going to do, I'm going to wrap that whole stage in police line tape. That was like my big one thought. Mm. I was like crime scene tape all over the place. I was like, all right, what am I going to do? So the only people I knew then that could really, and let, you know, I, again, I've always been lucky. I had these friends that at the drop of a hat, Hey, you want to go? It was like, we were going to the next neighborhood you know, like, Hey, you want to do a show? I'm doing a show. I got offer a show in Germany. You want to come? Yeah, sure. You know, England. Yeah, sure. You know, it was always like Japan. First time we went to Japan, we had 15 people with us. It was just like, <laughs> come on, let's go. You know, like, so, oh my god. but that first show, Sasha couldn't get in. And so it was just Shane. And then just so happened, this one guy, whose name was Guy, he came from New York to go see the festival. And I just, yeah you know, I just recruited. Him. I was like, dude, you get on stage with me? you know, like you know, just hit play on this. that's it and Shane was manning a an ms twenty I think it was a guy just manned the Walkman that I had uh, Henry Lee <laughs> I had Henry Lee Lucas confession tape, and I was like, you just play this and just run it through this pedal and and that was the deadly action show, but then after that it was Sasha Shane and then Chris Chris sickness because you know it's like my another one that's like my brother like we met hit it all like that's it. And it just went from there. You know, I wasn't really friends with Guy. And I remember Sasha was upset with me because she was like, why? Why did you have him perform? And I'm looking at her like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, and she was like, you're going to think back on this. You're going to think back on this. And it is kind of funny. I look back. I go, damn, the first slogan show was Shane. makes, And then this guy that, yeah, I didn't really even know the guy. Like, I was like, all right, you know, (laughs) whatever. But but yeah, I got lucky with Sasha, Shane, Chris, like, honestly, that like, I, I don't think I possibly could have gotten any more lucky with them. And then Viesters coming in. I don't know if you remember Viesters. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just such a great crew that, and it got to be a yearly thing where it wasn't even about doing the shows together. I got to travel with my friends, you know, like we would just be drunk and getting just ridiculous, just going everywhere. And, I got pictures, man. I got literally a thousand pictures of all these times, all these places we were at, like hotels and venues and just, and then getting to hang out with all the Europeans. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it became such a regular thing. I was just hanging out with guys from my neighborhood. That's what it was like. You know, like, hey, Klaus, you know, like it was like I just saw him (laughs) a few months before or Dave Gray Wolves or Mike Condom. You know, like it was just like we'd see each other and it got to be this great hangout you know, with the show as an afterthought, Miko, you know, hanging out with Miko all the time. Like I got lucky. I really did. A lot of it was a lot of luck, man. Well, (laughs) speaking
0: of guys from your neighborhood, your actual neighborhood, there's, there's two things I want to talk about. First is going to be the, the, the NYPE, the New York power electronics thing. mean, you have mangled clit, Right? You got Hydra. Sal. Uh who who always part of the that scene at the time? Who who were you who were you seeing well, who was on the bills? What what was that like?
1: Well, there was uh Hydra, final solution, you know, Greg, uh, EJ, but I didn't know EJ. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know the guy. Mark knew him. Um, you know, Sal, who's he's from a sister neighborhood, Middle Village in Queens who, you know, he might as well be my cousin. Like, we're just, like, the same, you know, it's the same thing. And then anytime I was around him, the Bensonhurst came out of my mouth because then it was just like, ah, hey, what the fuck? You know, whatever. But you had Mangle Clint, um, Woe Is Me. I don't know if you remember Woe Is Me, yeah, John. Yeah. John. Um, and then you had these weirder, like, disassociate Ralphie Boy who was part of the New York, one of the original part of the New York hardcore scene, uh, Ralphie Boy. Um that, there really wasn't much, like as far back as I can remember, uh, Mark, you know, throw him in there. But it was really just kind of us. And then Mark just being the guy that was just bringing everybody in, you know, but um, that and then Sasha and Chain, you know, Sasha and Chain did their thing. But I'd say there was a lot more of that more experimental stuff like Disassociate going on at the time than like say straight up power electronics or anything like that you know there were people i even tried to get into it to to create but like there was this one guy eric but i'll never forget he gave me this great line he was like nah man i'm a consumer not a creator and i was like all right fair (laughs) you know fair enough but yeah it wasn't really much well
0: one thing that's uh when I think of neighborhood, I think of Bensonhurst, I think of big territorial it ties into true crime. But also, and you mentioned this a few times already Well, since we've been talking graffiti. That's one thing that is explicitly slogan in the realm of power electronics, I feel like, is there is a there is a graffiti connection to your noise.
1: Yeah, I can actually say graffiti is what got me into everything because, you know, look, Bensonhurst was it's totally different now my folks are still there but it's completely different neighborhood graffiti was the first thing that ever even sparked an idea of i got to get out of this neighborhood or i just want to see or you want to do something outside the neighborhood and i'm talking like 81 i was like 12 and you know you start like tagging you know whatever little things and, and then getting on the train and going to manhattan and i could tell you graffiti to me to this to this very day, I'm still involved with the old timers, the guys from the late sixties, early seventies. It started it. I'm friends with a lot of them. Like I still, you know, keep in touch with them because I got into all the history of it, collecting it, like signatures, pieces, mm. but graffiti was what got me out. And then once I got out and I'm seeing the cute little punk girl over there, or I'm seeing this mohawk dude over there, like, you got to understand this guinea from Bensonhurst who Bensonhurst was incredibly, incredibly isolated from anything. I mean, if you wanted to be something crazy, you really like it was like your life. Like it was, you know, it was crazy. I mean, when I first started getting all this stuff and started looking a different way and daring, you know, to look different, I mean, some of my own friends who are doing life or dead. Like, no joke, like, this is straight up, like, heavy shit. Like, I'll never forget one of them who will remain nameless. He's been jailed the rest of his life, but he was, like, my little brother. And he literally told me one night, because I was kind of already out of the neighborhood, you know, kind of doing my thing. But I would still see them, like, you know, and when I saw them, I'd kind of hang out and chit-chat or whatever. But he straight up told me once, my nickname, and then everyone in the neighborhood has a nickname, Right. Everybody. It's just, and my nickname to this day, if they see me, they don't call me John. They call me G head. G head's my nickname. Actually, I actually have a tattoo to G head. So, and like this is no joke. This is a kid who, even if I wasn't home, my mother would just let him upstairs, and he'd be helping <laughs> himself to the fridge. Like you know, we're all family, right? That's the best. This, this yeah. kid literally, when I started breaking away, he he told me, he "Goes ah, G head. If you weren't one of us, we would have killed you already." And this isn't like when people say, oh, I'm going to kill you. Like, right. It was this, this is a serious yeah. shit yeah. because yeah. to to them, I was, you know, look at G head, you know, he must be gay, you know, look at G head. He must be some sort of drug addict. Look at G head, you know, and then friends of mine from the club scene will be coming to the neighborhood. And that was like, you know, like, what the, what the hell is that? You know, like, is that dude wearing makeup? You know, like what? Yeah, mm. it, was, it was crazy. So graffiti and the problem with graffiti itself graffiti was big even in bensonhurst at that time you know it was all over the place however it was still in my neighborhood you got into graffiti it was inevitable your boys were going to get on you because to them it was a black thing it was a puerto rican thing so me and my boy sean who i told you about who passed away he got me into graffiti when we were kids because he was going to the school outside the neighborhood because he got kicked out of our middle school because he was a conduct case and uh so he met up with these kids these puerto rican kids that rank you know whatever and then i took to it because you know i get into something i get obsessed and that's what got me on the train you know that's what got me wandering around like looking at different neighborhoods and it just got into like i knew I, i it's the weirdest thing man like you gotta understand it was that aha moment for me when I realized, like, that music, like, music that's not on the radio. I was like, holy shit. And then, you know, yeah, I factor in the fact that I was like, this dude, woe is me, depressive kid, you know. And then, you know, you hear pornography from The Cure for the first time. It's like, holy mother of God, here it is, you know, like, it doesn't it. matter if we all
2: die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, that's what got me the graffiti thing. And it just, I just, I mean, it, To me, it's the greatest thing ever to come out of New York, that and jazz. I mean, like, it's just unbelievable that you look back on how it started. Kids that were just not just neglected at home, but these are kids that were neglected by society. This is like and it pisses me off nowadays that it's so prevalent no matter where you are. Yeah, the graffiti thing I always knew was going to be a part of slogan because I never got out of it. I still I mean, I still tag up. Like even while I was waiting for you guys, I mean, I'm just tagging up. I'm, I'm 53 years old, and if you look at everything around me, I just tagged the crap out of everything. That's where the whole stickers with slogan thing came from. Yeah, I was just, yeah, you know, I always, you, you know, everyone knew wherever I was, you, you saw me with that little bag, that camo bag slung over, and I had at least a hundred stickers on me, especially when we were on tour. I'd be walking around like Chris would laugh because you wouldn't even notice I was stickering because I had the shit down so smooth. Like we would just walk down the block and then you would turn like Thomas control one time. we just like, and then he just turned around and he just burst out laughing because every pole down the block suddenly had these <laughs> slogan stickers because we would just like be like walking and I would just be like, what, 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 you know, no matter where we went. But that was all from graffiti because it was all about like, get up, get up, get up, you know, just get your shit up. You know, but oh, that's amazing. So it was natural for it to be a part of the the look or the feel of it. And then, look, I know more than one person said me on stage, "Oh, you're like some sort of power electronics rapper." You know, like especially in Europe, like I would always get that in Europe. People would be like, "Oh, you are like a hip hop guy up there," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah," you know, I guess, you know, like. <laughs> I don't know, like I'm not doing that godly standing, and you know whatever I was just moving around and mm-hmm. pointing and you know whatever, so yeah, it all ties in
3: i I want to talk about these obsessions and things that you do not do casually because. Your serial killer references go so deep. And it was at a time where it's not like a lot of programs on television and people that can use the Internet to find research. So how did you get so deep into serial killers? What were you reading? What were you into? I mean, especially it's like while
2: we, we always talk about the cover of Pleasures of Death. Yes. To this day, we're talking us.
3: We just read it and see like who all, we're familiar all, with all, going down the road. People close to yeah. who
2: we consider obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. I maybe know three on that cover of Pleasure yeah. Death. It is some of the
1: deepest cuts. What are you, yeah. are you
3: reading, microfiche? What are you doing?
1: It was. I don't know. I mean, first off, yeah, that's 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 me. Like, I get into something as a kid, or even later in life, it would drive my mother nuts because I get into something. It's like I I I can't help. It. I just get obsessed. And I have to just yeah. like absolutely. And I always chalked it up to something that came out of my neighborhood and my neighborhood. If you said, like, if you said you were a Yankee fan in my neighborhood, like the guys I hung out with, they was such fucks, man. They was such cocksuckers. Like you got to make sure you, you, you fucking say you're into this or you know, this, they won't let you walk away. Like they're going to grill you. And if you don't know, like they'll smack you in the face. They'll be like, get the fuck out. You know, like, So even as kids, me and my friends in the schoolyard, you know, baseball cards or sports, or if you, if you made the grave error of turning around and saying, yeah, Yankees all the way, God forbid, you're not now going to back it up, you know, like (laughs) with knowing about it. So I've always taken this from my neighborhood where, you know, if you say you're into something, shit, man, you got to be into it, you know, like you got to know. And that also means I got to know more than that next guy. So (laughs) music. Serial killers, graffiti, you know, graffiti history, like whatever it was. Shit. I got to know. I got to know. You got to dig. You got to dig for true crime. Yeah. Back then I was always into true crime. I was always in serial killers, even as a kid, you know, and a lot of it. I don't know if it started because of son of Sam, you know, his last victim lived around the block from me. I remember that morning me and my dad walked by his house, the police, the media. Wow. I mean, I remember the summer of Sam. I remember the whole summer, people panicking, you know, the whole thing. But that morning, I swear to God, we would, because where my house, where my parents still are, to get, it was a Sunday morning, we were going to buy the paper, and to get to the candy store, you literally passed by this house. And it was a madhouse. The street was closed, the media, mm-hmm. you know, Rob Robert Violante, that was the last guy. Like, he lived around the block from me, the one who lived. And uh, his girlfriend, Susan Moskowitz, is the one who died. But, so I... I mean, I always used to say, oh, that's when I kind of started getting nah, Well, I was seven, eight years old. I don't know. But anytime that topic came up or it was on the news and yeah, I was always kind of, it, it was more than just a passing, like, oh, like, I, I don't know. I just kind of was, you know, as obsessed as a little kid could be. And then once I started finding paperbacks and then, you know, just buying books, but then... You know, later on, a few years before I even started Slogan, well, then I met Mark. (laughs) So there it goes. Yeah. Then the idea of collectible true crime books came into the picture because Mark (laughs) would be like, wait, do you have this one? No. Oh, and then he made me a list one day. We're at work. And he made me this giant list. And we're in the middle of Manhattan. So after work, it became ritual. Me and him, we would go to all the used bookstores. And immediately go to the true crime section. And that feeds into my, you know, getting deeper, 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 knowing more than whoever. And, you know, it it just became a mission. And then through that, even though there was never a book written about certain killers, I had to find names. So you'd find these little references wherever it was. You know, And but is Mm pre-internet. And I would always make notes. I would actually like some nerd, some true crime nerd. I'd be making notes anytime I came across a name. And then I would try to, I'd always have it in my bag. And then I'd be, I'd go to the New York Public Library and then try to find in the indexing, you know, any references or God forbid there was some special on TV. I'd videotape <laughs> it, you know, like whatever it was, you know, it, it did that. That's how it got into that for pleasures of death. That, that, I did that on purpose. I was trying to list all these killers that at that time, some of them now, Fred and Rose West, and like, but they were so obscure. I was purposely picking out a lot of these incredibly obscure because I knew my friends that were into true crime were going to be like, Who the fuck is that? You know, like, wow, I did that on don- purpose. Achieved.
2: <laughs> Achieved. To, to this day. <laughs> 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 to, totally, to this day. And maybe you even confuse some people because on the original tape, there's a typo. Yep,
0: yeah,
1: there is. I did that. <laughs> Actually, I did that on purpose for Keith. No way. Yeah. And he nailed Amazing. it right off the bat. I purposely wrote uh, Frank West. Yep. And anyway, I sent out. And at the same time, I by the way, I still do it with all my baseball cards. When I release a set every month, only a few people have ever noticed I put one mistake somewhere in those sets. And every once in a while, someone's like, oh, I think you yes. made a mistake. And I'm like, "Ah, oh. you know, I, I don't know. I just always do that stuff. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Wow. But, I love it for that. And it was so funny because I released it and we had email by then. And I'll never forget Keith. I, you know, like at that time when I was released, when there was a new release before it was ever available, I made sure Mark, Keith, Jeremy from strict, good friend of mine, they always got their copies first. I always wanted to make sure, you know, and then whatever. And I'll never forget. I come home. And there's an email from Keith, and he was so disappointed in me. <laughs> because he was like, dude, come on. You wrote Frank. And I just wrote back, You noticed. I was like, I did that for you. I purposely Oh, that is incredible. You know, <laughs> and and then that's why it was fixed when Cole Meat Industry put it out as a CD. You know? Yeah. Oh that's
2: incredible. And yeah, and it's yeah. so cool because the the tape, C D and LP, there's they're they're kind of combined in a way because you have the correct spelling, obviously on the, on the reissue LP on hospital and, and, and the layout of the words are different on the CD.
1: Yeah. They,
2: they, there's like a, yeah, they, there's, so it's, it's cool how the LP has sort of a combo of both releases.
1: Yeah. Dom, Dom really tried. He did a great job. Like he, you know, he assured me when he asked me to re-release that and he was like, you know, I, I, you know, I promise I'm going to keep the artwork. I'm going to keep it all just as true to the cassette and to the, and funny, of course I had to point out, don't use the cassette for the cover. I was like, right don't use right. the, <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, there's a mistake on there. I purposely, you know, yeah. whatever. I explained it. I was like, but yeah, you know, no problem. But I trust Dom. Like, you know, oh, I yeah. know that when he's going to do a release, he's going to do it. You know, I don't have to oh, worry yeah. about him. It's religious for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, that's the story behind the Frank West. I wanted to have a little bit of fun. <laughs>
3: that is amazing. That's
2: that's so incredible. But yeah, I mean, honestly, to this day, it's still some of the deepest. No matter how many documentaries come out, it's that list is still beyond it's still amazing.
3: And and thanks. You <laughs> know, it's fascinating how many things of yours kind of tie into like the collector mentality and like. Sure the baseball cards, and it oh, yeah. explains so much. And I read somewhere that you were going to release a slogan baseball jersey. Did that ever happen?
1: It never did. It never did. I know. I did all these shirts. There's so many slogan T-shirts, but the jersey never ended up happening. And I actually, thank you for bringing it up. I always think about that damn thing. I've been I thinking about to, it. I always <laughs> wanted to release, hey, it's not off the table yet. I mean, I still, yeah, I still... Very much hope to release the slogan book of lyrics, kind of like Moonlight Hidden Beneath the Cloud. Long time ago, had that book. One of my favorite bands ever. <laughs> yeah. Remember Ooh. when she released the book? I have it. It's, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, I have a chair like it's stuck in my head, like I gotta do this someday. Also, that book know? is
0: every lyrics to every song in the original language, translated into English, and yes. then with a story or like pages about the inspiration for each right. song.
1: It is And that's that's what it, I wanna do. That's what I want to so do. Pure
0: of uh, yeah. a vision of a band that it I, I would love to see one for slogan.
1: Oh man, that's mm-hmm. you know, I so as far as things like that, yeah, the collected you know, I don't want to say collectible stuff because I don't want to make it sound like I'm going to purposely make it like limited edition, make money. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I still want to do stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie in the last two years, I'd say it's amazing. Now the amount of people that just keep, you know, the younger people that are just contacting me and you know, that they're getting into all this stuff now. And it's like, Oh, you know, that's why there were a couple of shirts I did in the last like four years you know, T-shirts or whatever. It was just kind of like to get it out there. And so I would love to do some stuff like that. So the baseball jersey is not exactly dead yet.
3: I'm you know? so happy about that. And yeah, this is a yeah. prime time for misanthropy and self-loathing. So Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great. Right? And absolutely. then also the business card CDRs. Is that related to baseball cards?
1: That series that I did around 2006, 2007, I just... It isn't. I just got obsessed with this idea of doing these business card CD things. I just had the, you know, it, it just, I had this idea for the glassine envelope. Oh, cool. You know, the the Petri dish, uh, the, the great thing. It's actually one of my favorite releases, the Wanted and Missed, the wallet. The whole story behind that is I wanted to do a release where, imagine you're walking down the street one night, you find a wallet, And you're like, oh, shit. And then you open it up and then you start realizing, wait a minute. And it's a fucked up wallet. Like there's some fucked up shit in there. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: And that whole idea of, you know, someone lost their wallet. And there's someone that lost their wallet is some fucked up, fucked up person. And you're opening it up and finding all this shit. So that was just like these four. I think it was four. And the last one was the comic. You know, the two by four, which it made a lot of sense like two tracks by four, the four business cards. You know, when I was just playing around with a lot of stuff, but that was actually around the time I first started entertaining the thought of, all right, maybe I need to just start thinking about, you know, slowing down. Or I, I was calm, I was trying to calm down with my drinking. I stopped with my pill popping, you know, whatever. I was like, all right, I need to kind of chill. You know, I met my who's going to become my wife. Like, yeah, it was just kind of like, I need to, I was really in a bad head. And I I, I was kind of thinking, all right, a lot of this stuff isn't helping, you know, like it's not helping me. So, but that, those four business cards, that was like some of the most fun I ever had in a brief period of time releasing things because it was a hundred percent me just burning the little business card CDs, you know, coming up with the tracks, the ideas, there was an idea behind every one of them. Putting it all together was so much fun. I kept the costs ridiculously low. So I was putting them out really cheap. And Mark even emailed me once like, how the fuck are you putting this out for? I think one of them was only five bucks. I was like, dude, I, it's just kind of like found shit. I don't know. I'm just, it's about just getting it out there. You know, I just want to do that. You know, but yeah, no, but I can see where you would think like, I mean, there was always a Yankee thing, you know, on Sacrifice Unto Me, one of the tracks, I can't even tell you which one anymore because it was all done by accident. One of the tracks, if you listen closely in the background, there's a Yankee game going on. I we and, will be putting that on after. <laughs> and at the end of the at the game ends, and you actually hear the announcer, and the Yankees win. And <clears throat> Patrick and Jonathan, one of them, figured it out. Because then we when one of the times I came to New York, I think it was Patrick. He was kind of like, kinda asked me about, like, is there and I was like, yeah, you heard it. And I was like, yeah, that's. And he thought he thought I put it there on purpose. And I was really so kind of not into the technical aspect of it all. Right. And I just told I was like, "Nah, bro, while I was recording, I was watching the Yankee game. I didn't want to put it down. So I just <laughs> that's left even it better. And, and, oh, That's so even amazing. Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to shut off the Yankee game and I wanted to listen. So, but, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of samples in your
0: work, I mean, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the, the breadth of samples you've put in Slogan and, and the variety of places they seem to have come from is massive. Were you, were you recording a lot of stuff off TV? Were you tape trading? Where were you getting all this like audio documentation?
1: It was just me seeking it out, like leading up to Slogan, When I, you know, like again, back then it was all analog. It was all like kind of cut and paste, so to speak. By the time I started, I kind of already knew certain things that stuck with me like cruising, you know, like who's here, I'm here, you're here. Like, I knew I was going to use that at some point. I had this crazy CD that when Mark and I worked at the record store, one of those West Coast punk labels, can't even remember, but everybody knows them. Green Day might have come out of it. Anyway, they put out this weird, I have it here somewhere, one of these CD racks. It was this lesbian interview cd that had like 40 different segments of interviews and oh my god it was chock full of goodness i mean it was even then before ever doing any music i knew oh my god i'm gonna use that and i'm gonna use that now and to this day mark will laugh at me because he's like oh you used it again and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um the self track the last track on the on the yeah the women like I was
0: talking? talking to a
2: friend. Yeah, That's yes! all that. That's oh all from my that CD. God.
3: We wondered what that we was. We were
0: literally...
1: To, like, yesterday. To, we were like, I wonder what that comes from. That's a... It's a CD called... It, I mean, it was never released. It was a promo called Dream Come Down. And it's just this lesbian reporter who was going around interviewing lesbians on the street. And it was some of the craziest stuff. And I always knew. Like, even Twilight Zone. You know, like, Fanatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I Obviously taped serial killer convention uh confessions 23 skidoo I, I you know i mentioned them earlier as a band i liked them you know whatever but there was one record they did that aside from mark one 12 inch had as much to do with me knowing i wanted to do record something it's a 23 skidoo 12 inch called tearing up your plan tearing up your plans and yes, that's why that album's <laughs> uh, uh, called Tearing Up the Plans. Cause I wanted to call it tearing up your plan. Oh I could have it backwards. What, what's is it, my yeah, album yeah, it's backwards? It's tearing yeah.
2: up yours is tearing up your plans. Mm. Yeah.
1: That was Stefan's idea from Sounds for Consciousness Rape. Yeah. Cause he knew the twelve inch. And he asked me why do you want to call it that? I said, because that's like that's one of my favorite things in life is this twelve inch. It's just this drony track with Richard Nixon talking on the phone and whatever and I, you know, I, I discovered that way back, but I always wanted to do something like that, that, you know, I was never one to be like, you know, see or, or hear something and be like, that is what I want to do with my life. But when I remember hearing that 12 inch the first time, if there was ever a moment I could say, holy shit, I want to do music. That's one of them. Like, maybe the only thing, like, if you haven't heard the track, I'm sure it's easy to find. It, it's an amazing it, there's not much to it, but it just hit me. You know, there's little samples there from that 23 Skidoo track. Funny story about tearing uh, up your plans. You remember the cover? Yeah. Is the light bulb? Well, at that time in true crime fandom, everyone was always trying to beat each other to use an image from a new serial killer book that just mm-hmm. came out. Right. And particularly me and Jeremy Strick. You know, he's like, a really good friend of mine, I love him to death. And I remember, the Riverside Killer just came out, the William Suff book. This is like ninety seven, and you know, it came out. I bought it. I saw that picture, and it was almost like I couldn't get a fucking album quickly out enough just to use that image, right? <laughs> you know, like it just became, <laughs> and I knew Jeremy was gonna be the one to be pissed. And when that finally came out and I sent Jeremy the copy and he calls me and he's like, you fuck. <laughs> he goes, you used it. And I was like, yes, I did. And I also did that with um, Carla Hamolka with the black eyes on yes. uh, Days of Agony. Days of Agony. Mm-hmm. Jeremy was pissed because <laughs> I, beat, I, I beat him to it. I got that image. I slapped, you know, back then it was just printing it out on a black and white printer. Murder release. Murder release to that, yeah. And I said, here, use this, you know, like, and Jeremy was like, oh, you know, you did it again. You know, like it was just Ah, like trying to beat each other because there were new images coming out, you know, constantly. (laughs) John, you talked about the
0: double meaning in all of your work. And, you know, I see strange parallels through your interest in true crime. And in graffiti and in like playing these shows, something like I travel, which can be taken as like talking about someone uh, roaming and finding new victims or dumping bodies in different places, traveling for playing live shows. And also with graffiti, you're talking about, you know, getting up and going around and and going different places and always putting up stickers. So how do you did you find a, a strange parallel in those three things that you were aware of when you were when you were doing all of
1: this? no as a matter of fact here's a funny thing about i travel you know what i travel's about there's a few meanings behind i travel the main meaning the the idea that the spark of it that made me write that top yes it's about a guy roaming around dumping bodies all up by himself again lone a loner doing what he's doing it it also ties into a track of bloody roots called black tar ribbons that's like him driving on the highway. And you know when they were they patch up the road and it's yeah. all the tar and it's looking like ribbons. Like, yeah, there's a lot of the stuff I've written about. If you go back and look, it is about this true loner. A lot of like just moving around, moving around, moving around. Because I've always been obsessed with getting out of my neighborhood, moving around, moving around, moving around. You know, just keep going, keep going, you know, like whatever, whatever it is. But I travel is named. For the greatest simple mind song ever made, which is I travel, the dance version, which is an unbelievable <laughs> song. In Days That's of That's incredible. You wow. know, dot 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 in pain. That's really about victims in pain. That's Agnostic Front. Sloblands on tearing up your plans. That's about Princess Tiny Me, one of my favorite non-album bands, an offshoot of Virgin Bruins, because they had a track called Sloblands. You'll be amazed how many slogan titles or even lyrics are absolute references to 80s '80s bands, tracks, whatever. If you go on the Bandcamp page, yes, you, you, you notice them. in the bottom, mm-hmm. it'll say, that's what I mean. If you see a band listed or whatever, then look up. One of the tracks has something to do with that band or that per you know, whatever it is. But that was my little cheeky way of just, because basically I'm this gothy, you know, in- industrial kid who got into this shit. But really, the tie-ins are so there. Like you know, absolutely. I mean, we could forget it. We could spend the next hour just going through titles, and I could be like just pegging out bands. Oh, That's that was that, that. That was that. You know, like. But, but I love
2: that, and I love mm-hmm. the combination of all that. And even the, the there's something very specific about a way the way you title things and the way your lyrics are laid out. Like for example, focus is focus does once then twice. There's these we there's these weird turns of phrases that I've. I only sure. associate with you. And I can't even put into words what that is to me.
1: I, I, that was all. Yeah. I, I did put attention into that stuff because that's, it's, it, it's how I speak. Robert Marzano from Labyrinth. He was the one that first said it. He was like when he'd see lyrics and he, I remember he, I was at his house and he laughed and he goes like, people would never believe me. Like, this is how you speak. Like, it is no different and uh Sasha will joke around because you know the track just because you know well if you knew me hung around me enough I'm always fucking turning around like just because you know like it's it's there's always these things I say and the the playing with the words like yeah focuses focus does it's 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 this prick way of making my point you know like you know, tied to my fists. Like it's, it's just, you know, the, I don't know. It's just a way I would look at it. Like I get this idea of a particular scene in my head that I wanted to write it, and it, it comes down to something I would blurt out. And, and that's what a lot of that is. And I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because I'm kind of proud of that, you know, like I, I yeah,
2: it, we always get so excited when we just sit down and, and yeah, there's, that focuses and
3: they're focus just so does. Yeah, That's dissolved so dissolved down into just like the most simple way of stating yeah, well, it.
1: Well, that's just it. It's strip. Yeah. It was about strip, like once, then twice. That's just frustration. That title is pure stripped down frustration of trying to explain yourself. And it's just like you're done trying to even add more words. It's just like screaming out, just like once, then twice, and that's it. And just Ah. like, it has to end. And no, that's it. It's done. It's dead. You know, like that. That was a lot of it. That was a lot of like the wording. And yeah, I mean. The lyrics even like there's a structure to it, but it wasn't like I was trying to put the structure in it. That's just the way I would kind of build it all because I needed sentences to end at certain points to make a point to go into the next thing, because basically it's all just this young prick who's yelling who's complaining who's whining who's frustrated who's alone who doesn't know what the fuck to do not that he does not that he wants to stop it but he wants to share it and there's a frustration there and in no way am i glorifying true crime i never ever did you know serial killer whatever like no of course not but there's something about that's that's awe-inspiring about can you fucking imagine being that person, like I said earlier, you're doing something that the world is noticing. That you're stopping people. I mean, it's it's just everywhere. Like, you know, David Berkowitz, even though I don't think he was the only one. You know, Son of Sam is a whole big fucking fake. You know, there are multiple people. We all know that. I'll give it a break. NYPD did a number. But... And I don't think it's connected to the process and final judgment and satanism and all that shit. It was just a bunch of schmucks from Yonkers, few guys that were doing what they were doing anyway. But let's just say David Berkowitz, let's say he was the only one. If you were in New York at that time and you saw the media coverage and how you were affecting women's lives, women cutting their hair. I remember this like The whole city was like, you know, when the blackout happened, they thought it was Son of Sam. They thought he did it. They were like, oh, my God, you know. And yet, think about it. You're doing something so, I mean, abhorrently colossal, but you can't say anything. You can't, you know, you can't be at the bar and use it as a pickup, you know. You can't, hey, that's me, you know, like, no. Like, can you imagine that powerful pull of what that must be? where you're walking down the street looking and you're looking at newspaper covers and you're like, ah. like that's what I used to think green river before we finally got caught. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we would talk about it, you know, Jonathan, me, Mark, you know, and I would always just wonder, man, like Zodiac, you know, I would always just fucking wonder, I don't know, maybe it's just not right to even be interested this much in it, but I'm not going to lie. I always have been. It's, it's incredible to me. Can you fucking imagine what it must've been like for Gary Ridgway all those years before he got caught green river. Everybody knew green river. Yeah. And can you imagine him in a fucking Barnes and Noble in the true shrine section going, ah. that's, that's about yeah. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, can you just imagine? Yeah. The guy was a cocksucker, you know, whatever. Like uh, uh, he's not some hero. No, of course not. But I'm just saying what I, we can't even imagine what the hell that must be like. No. To be like, uh, you know, yeah, that's me. You know, And you got to keep it's, it to yourself. And it, it's, it's, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. That's no, just absolutely. Sick.
2: That keeping that inside for so long,
1: like, everyone's thinking about you. Everyone's like altering their lives because of you like, and you're just walking around just like
3: somebody says, you know? what'd you do last night? And you're like,
1: I know yeah. nothing, but, but yeah. I'm not telling you. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was home. I was drinking a beer, watching the game. And meanwhile, Meanwhile, you have the newspaper right in front of you, and you're just, "Yeah, I was home watching the game." You know, whatever, blah blah. blah." (laughs) You know, it's just a, you know, I mean, many a time people have, and I'm sure you guys got it too. This unnatural interest in this stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you know, it's fucked up, but come on, man. You know, like it is what it is. It's unbelievable. You know, it's almost a universal
0: interest now. It's it's life and death, and the the. Explosion of true crime in recent history is how many podcasts, how many documentaries, how many reenactments, how many TV shows?
1: But now, but now it's acceptable because you got these middle class white women who are fucking taking up the cause and now it's respectable. But, you know, some ugly thug from Brooklyn, when he would sing about it, I'm just like a monster because it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know. Like no offense to the woman that did that podcast, uh, Pat Oswald's wife, but nah, I'm sorry, man. You know, nah, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not down with that.
2: We still think of the old days when it was it was scuzzier to be into it, and even yeah. when yeah. we first got into it it, it, it being young and being in high school, like for for me, it was, and I think for you as well, was *Helter Skelter*.
3: *Helter Skelter* was the yeah. first well, book, same, and you yeah. find yeah, that and you're thing.
2: like. I'm in like yeah, I am yeah. I'm in and then and yeah of course in high school oh god you're reading that again are you reading the Green River book are you reading and it's like what? yeah hell yeah, yeah. I'm still doing it <laughs> of
1: course my yeah, dad course. always
0: read them so it was it was that in books about Vietnam it was so normal to me to have true crime books around the house
1: oh for me like you said helter-skelter the family yep. you know Those are like Yahoo, and then of course you always had those bad little paperbacks, the worst serial killers in history, and it was like little little bios Mm -hmm. on like a hundred serial killers, and you're just like, whoa,
0: you know? Like, I'm sure we all have that yellow uh, encyclopedia, the serial killer encyclopedia paperback. Of course,
1: of course, (laughs) you know. And now it's all about because you know now it's it's considered respectable because the NPR fucking crowd. You know, they got into all this shit, but it's under the guise of trying to make it right. Right, right, trying, right. You're trying to oh, understand. Trying, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. trying to find the person who did it or if the person was already caught, trying to, like, give the victim their voice. Oh, fuck yeah. you, man. You're yeah. just doing this for yourself. You're yep. interested in it. You don't want to you don't want to admit it. And now you're trying to sugarcoat it. You know, no, I'm not buying it. You know, oh, you're no. the same asshole going into the true crime section as me. You know Exactly. And,
3: yeah, you you're it, attracted it, to extremes. You want to see no. how far some people took it, and want to know why right. they did that.
1: And these Just are like this, the, and these are the same people that will turn around and point at a hip hop track and be like, "Oh my god, that's so disgusting. It's so misogynist, or it's so this, or it's so that." And it's like, "Oh come on, man. You know, you're over there reading the latest fucking true crime or listening to mm-hmm. the latest true crime podcast. You're getting off on that stuff. Like, give me a break. You, you know, go, like
2: it's you, a, she should go pick up that chick. Should go pick up."
1: Forty-four, the ultimate evil lathe on self-abuse. <laughs> yeah. really? No. Oh, you know what? Maybe that's it. I miss I miss some money makers. I should have hung out in true crime sections and bookstores. Yeah. Oh hey. my god! Yeah, there you go. Hey, there's conventions hey. now. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah, to you go, go there. Yeah. There you go. I see you have an interest in this. Yeah. <laughs> Might I interest you? And bring out a CD. I remember yeah. like
0: my first tour, two thousand four. We went to Powell's in Portland and the true crime section was uh, like dollar books. Like no one, no one, no. you know, it was discard cast off whatever used books. And I think I walked out of there with like 20 books to throw in the back oh, of the I'm car. Sure. On that tour. I'm just like,
1: what is this wonderland of it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That was Mark and I, every time we'd walk into those used bookstores and we'd find them all cheap, hard old first press, hard covers, whatever, 495, 395. I mean, Nine hundred ninety-nine people out of a thousand would be like, "What the fuck?" And me and him, I mean, like little schoolgirl, ask them, giggling. I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, giggling, just like, hey, you know, running out of there with our little stash of like whatever we found. You know, like it was just pure joy. That must have been yeah. fun shopping yeah. with
0: Mark too, because if he already had some awesome thing, he would see it and know it and tell you to buy it. Yeah, oh, yeah
1: absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. got to
3: shop with somebody who already has a collection. Best. Otherwise, it's rough. <laughs>
1: yeah. Never go record shopping with someone who's collecting at the same time, at yeah. the same level. Yeah, that's not good. That's happened to me a lot. That's that's yeah. me and the Connellys.
0: Well, it's, 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 some, some disappeared yes. from my discogs cart. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just got this. Oh, damn it!
3: While we're chatting, somebody is on the phone buying shit. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't have that? Fuck. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: man, well, John, if you don't mind, we we could just move in with you. Actually, we, could talk we really the next have six no hours. hours and, uh, so I can use to help so. with the dogs, so man. Oh, man I really we would love, love that. Dogs. that. Uh, yes, yes, Friend listeners. We've dogs. gotten a chance to see a bunch of great dogs uh, throughout this video, throughout this interview, mm-hmm. and we would be more than happy to come yep. and and take
1: care of your dogs. We're just going to move hey in, Hey, man. You guys head east. You're more than welcome to come here, hang out. We we will, put in a great big pool in the back. Come here in the oh, summer. Yeah. Hey, there's yeah. You're gonna read your notes. Yeah, you're yeah. That yeah. is definitely
2: <laughs> going to happen. But as we always make a point to point out to all listeners, you got to go to Slogan's Bandcamp. Hell we have, yeah. We've we've talked about it a lot, and I know when we did our episode on Slaughter Tapes, I wrote you about it, and you said,
1: oh, so that's why yeah.
2: all of a sudden I'm getting all these Breed Apart uh, grabs. Yes. Yeah, suddenly, yeah, like, yeah. out of
1: nowhere, I'm just like, people are emailing me, you know, like... Hey. I was like, what the fuck is, like, why yes. that one? I don't get it. Yep. That's great. It, it, absolutely. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anytime any we... Thank you for that.
2: Absolutely. You know, yes. We've been, That's like I great. said, uh, you know, you you were saying a lot of, in the past few years, a lot of people have been hitting you up, and I really do think not only is the availability of all of it on Bandcamp so people can really hear everything, but I really think the the last record was something special, and I think Thanks. it hit a lot of people... Mm in in a really it just came out at the right time and I think it hit people right and I know for us Tara and I we just we we speak in it a lot of times we will yeah. I, especially the I deserve yeah that oh, yeah, is yeah. something that at least once a week we'll have an interaction with someone and we're just yep I they deserve. just yeah. deserve don't they yeah. they just deserve
1: oh yeah yeah that, that's my favorite release I mean I think I think one of you asked me that earlier and I didn't really answer, but easily my favorite release because of what's said in it. And also the which was great because I got, you know, the reissue of Glory of Murder came out. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was an underrated tape because I had a lot of releases coming out at that time. And sadly that got buried a little bit because like Fair Game, Chronicle Serum, like everything kind of came out. And um uh, when i got offered you know to have that re-released on vinyl i was so happy like you know i was like all right cool because that one is up there as far as that that period you know how things were said the the, the way the vocals came out like it's oh, where yes. it was at so you know so I'd yeah, say there's that. My, there's
3: that sort there's of a realism, like, a grittiness. It's just so yeah, like everything about it. It's great. It just yeah, appeals. that one
1: always stuck out to me.
3: It appeals and, to the FTW inside us all. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know that, that exactly. You know, and and on that, by the way, uh, the horrors in the museum. Yeah, that title's based off of a rudimentary penai song. The horrors in the museum. <laughs> there you go so there people you go people ask me because that's a title that really sticks out people have asked me a lot like what the hell does that mean they're trying to read into this like hardcore because the the you know the horrors in the museum Yeah. what on earth does that mean and I would just be like sorry man nothing behind it it's just rudimentary penai I love that band you know like Nick Blanco all the way you know and amazing. they'd be like oh I'm like yeah no story behind that one <laughs> yeah amazing yeah. well Thank
2: you so much for taking time oh, to do this. Thank this you. Is yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank huge you. for us. This is awesome. This is really great. Getting to Keep talk. In touch,
1: man. Definitely. Keep in touch. Keep in touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And like we said, everybody go to slogans Bandcamp. We'll have a link up for it. Grab everything. He's always putting up when he gets his copies. There's shirts. They might all be sold out. Actually, the shirts right now, but.
1: I think shirt, sure, but I'll do some other stuff. Yeah, just keep go to the band camp. Just always, keep an eye always. out.
2: All right, man, Thank uh, you so much. Yeah,
1: hope hopefully we uh you know we won't just all blow up.
3: You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noiseextra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noiseextra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.